Hold on, I got this new hand clap thing that I've installed. Um, oh, good, you too. <laughs> I've still got mine. Yep, still works out. So your mom and Jody said hello. Yeah, they said hello. They said hello to you too. Do do they do they check? Like, do they do a follow up on that, or is it just blind faith that you'll actually say hello? Because what if you never said it? They're pretty easy going about it. I think when they say, say hello, it's just pass on my regards or make sure to send my thoughts or something. And I don't normally super follow up with people, but it reminds me of when I've walked past people whom I know and didn't notice at the time. And then afterwards they said, I waved at you and you didn't wave back. And I've thought, well, Whoa, I didn't see you. like that? Oh, this was years ago. And it was at the local shopping center, which is a hive of activity. And you should not go to if you only want to buy milk because you'll be out 90 minutes later. So now whenever I go somewhere like that, I'm on the lookout and it's like, I will just wave at people even when they're not looking at me just so they can't say that. Honestly, I've I've waved at people who haven't noticed at me or waved at people who I thought were that person, but wasn't sure because I hadn't seen them for ages and thought, I'm just going to be on the defensive here. He's like the queen just walking down the street, just waving. (laughs) Pretty much. That's what I envision, yeah. (laughs) Well, hello, Martin's family. Somebody says to you, say hello to Joe. Do you feel... I, I feel really worried. If I don't say hello to Joe, I feel bad about it. And I feel like I need mm. I, I need to tick that box off. It's a strong social convention in my mind. Is that appropriate or am I overthinking it? Overthinking it. Okay. If, they, if they're already in the position where they're not even going to do the hello themselves and they're already passing this off to a third party, clearly the hello was not, you know, wasn't that big of a deal to begin with because they've already given it off to you to do they couldn't do it themselves so yeah i just i don't think it was that important to them yeah it's important to martin's family so let's give that its due credit it's great that they're listening helps our numbers do you know when i was growing up i because i had that american background i used to say uh, we were brought up to say mom say hi mom um i've noticed that and I used to get all sorts of hassle at school for not saying mum because the Australian way to say it is mum. I, I didn't change that. I stuck with mum until I was, and I still say it, but I have softened my stance and I say mum a lot more now. Probably took it to my 30s, I would say, before I transitioned out into the Australian way of saying mum. You're kind of saying the same thing both times to me I don't, they're not terribly different when you're saying m-o-m versus m-u-m your u's and o's basically the same no look might as well just mom, get rid of one mom and mom 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 well now you're forcing it you're you're forcing that though this is the australian equivalent of like mandarin inflections or something now that's about as complicated as we get that was a forced differentiation because you're trying to make them sound different rewind your podcast 15 seconds and listen back and they both sound pretty much the same you've kind of made a new one where like it's a u and an o sound to together so it's probably what happens when you when you live here and your your influence wanes can you say can you say mom just for the the 
the proper American expression. So you've you've just illustrated. I'm not sure which one you were asking me to say because it sounded the like one with both. the O. Oh, mom, not mum, mom. One's a long vowel sound and one's a short. That's how I hear it. Mm. Mom, mum, mom, mum, and mum, mum, mum. If you want to commit, if you want to commit, Andrew, and convert yourself, I think you just need to get in the habit of starting to say mummy. <laughs> do you say do you say mother or mother? Mother. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say mother. That sounds like a problem. But we say good. But we say bother. We don't say bother. Is this the English analysis podcast now? Because I've got a lot of material ready if we're gonna have to abandon the show notes at this point. We got a huge influx of new listeners thanks to our advertising deal. And um they've tuned in for this. So we should send a quick thank you for the wonderful feature to Manton and Daniel of core intuition it was lovely to be featured and i know you know we get on with these guys and really like their work and we met on micro.blog so um i was i was certainly happy to be mentioned i don't know about you two i i don't i don't have words to even it's never would have crossed my mind that something like that would happen where there would be an established well-regarded thing Mm. in the world that gave any amount of s's about this little old podcast that we have right here but i truly appreciate it so thank you to both of them it's very cool because i'm sure they listen to every minute of every episode every week it's very cool i mean i've got micro.blog in my doc i've got mars edit in my doc they they write those apps like they're they're real genuine proper internet people and Mac people. Yeah, yeah. And they've talked about us. That's pretty cool. I, it's fantastic. I Again, s- massive thank you to both of them for that. So if you're not listening to Core Intuition, then our message is go and check them out too. Coreint.org. .org, yes. You don't see a lot of .orgs anymore. No. I feel like that was like a thing for a while. A lot of, a lot of .org action going on and then not, not anymore. People are less organized this century. I think that's all it is. Too many things to do. Was that intentional? You said everybody's less organized. Dot org? Yes. Of course it was. Yes. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Assume that everything I say is born of a smart ass tendency. Now we have an important item of follow up. Uh, and I have my own little thing to add to this, but we have to hear from Andrew first. Uh, for those who missed out on last week, or need to catch up. Jason made a recommendation in Media Corner to listen to Knife Party and by extension Pendulum because they're related. Uh, I had heard of them before, but I'm not a super fan by any means. Andrew was not aware that they were from Perth, Western Australia. Andrew, have you done your homework and listened to one or both of them? Uh, I listened to Knife Party and- Before or after Pendulum? um, It was after Pendulum. So Pendulum I just listened to a little bit of and I was like, it's it's fine. It's okay. Not really my cup of tea, but it's okay. And I like that ABC. The ABC theme one is classic, but I I think I'd still rather just listen to the original ABC theme. It reminds me of many, many years ago, probably two decades ago, I actually bought a CD- I think the guy's name was David Lowe. He produced the BBC World Service theme music and I bought a CD from BBC with that music on it. It's really good. 
did you play it before you had anything to announce or share with others just to add an official air to it? No, I just drive around. The, I just drove around the car, like delivering pizza, listening to BBC World Service music. Gotcha. But then I listened to Knife Party and immediately I felt like I'd get, grabbed a knife and stuck it in my ear. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the right effect. It really comes in strong. It really smashed me over the head. I chose the, uh, the Knife Party. I think it was the Knife Party Essentials from Apple Music. I chose to put it on. I figured, well, where do you start? Start with the Essentials. The Essentials, obviously. It really, really did smash me over the head. And my immediate reaction was, this is horrible. I hate it. I persevered for a couple of tracks. And I, I started to sense... It's, a, it's the sort of music where it's a time and a place kind of music. So if I just popped some acid and was in a club, that would be the time and the place. It would be. There's no other point in my life where I would think, why would I choose to sit down and listen to this? Well, I guess you don't sit down and listen to you. That's probably not the way you do it. No, this, isn't, this is not uh, kick back in your lounge chair and, and relax kind of music. So basically because of my lifestyle, never in my life am I going to have an opportunity to be in the right environs where this music would be appropriate. So I'll probably never listen again. I I didn't love it. But I want to add to this because I went through the same Essentials playlist to try to find one or a couple of the songs that I mentioned that I might have remembered because it was when all of my friends used to get drunk around me while I drank tea. And that wasn't a joke the last episode. That was serious. I would sit there with tea because I just don't drink. We know. You, you got that it was serious. Yeah. A f- funny, serious statement. Anyway. Um, and the one that I found, and I went, that's the one they used to play all the time was Internet Friends. Oh, yeah. Which is just, if you haven't heard it, it's just this really posh kind of almost robotic English woman speaking through it. And at one point she exclaims, you blocked me on Facebook and now you're going to die. And then it just drops. And I thought, what on earth are people listening to? While well, I just sat there drinking tea and they were mixing alcohol in one jug in the centre of the table and conveniently skipping me when it was someone's turn to drink it. Uh, that's my association with that music. So when you say dropping acid, Andrew, <laughs> I think you're right. Not really my, I, my kind of music. I, I could see Jason playing, having a hardcore gaming session and having that on in the background. That was, I did think about that. He's nodding, yeah. Oh, yeah, lots of acid, lots of games all the time. That's that's just Tuesday. And I don't know if this is a preview to Media Corner later on in the show, perhaps, but this was a week of catch-up for me because not only did I listen to a bit of Knife Party, I watched a lot of Matrix movies. I've watched them all. Are we going there right now? I don't know. I don't know if, don't know if it's on the agenda, the run sheet. I don't know if we've got the media, music, media Corner music queued up. Oh, actually, we can't go to that yet because it's not the next item on the agenda. The next item on the agenda is unannounced trivia corner. I have a feeling. 2022 (laughs) edition. It's back. How stoked are you guys for 2022? Do we get an update on the scores ever for last year? It's just no. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see how well you do with these two questions. No, here's the thing. Uh, can, I, can I let you guys in on a little secret if you promise not to tell anyone? Sure. Okay. You guys are tied right now. Seriously? Yeah. I was so pissed because I wanted to have a grand winner at the end of 2021. Uh, and you guys screwed that up and tied. 
so I couldn't do anything. So now we're going into sudden death. All right. 2022 unannounced trivia corner. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, question number one. What was the name of the first Android phone hardware? Was it A, HTC Dream, B, Google Pixel, C, Samsung Droid, or D, LG G1? I'm going to go first and I'm going to choose the first option. Was that HTC? HTC Dream. Is that what we're going with? Locking it in? Okay. Andrew's locked in. I will go for the LG G1, although I have a feeling I'm not correct. I have this feeling that maybe it's that touchscreen thing that technically technically came out before the iPhone, but wasn't the same multi-touch or something. I don't know. I know. I'm sure it probably didn't come out there like at the same time it did here, much like everything seems to be. Do you, I, this is a little tangent, tangent. Okay. Mm. Got it. Tangent. Do you remember th- when that happened there? Like when the first, when that very first wave of these devices started happening? Are you saying touchscreen phones as we know them today? Yeah. Like the first Android phone, like did it launch it, you know, JB Hi-Fi and you could go like look at it or whatever. Do you remember that? My memory of it is, maybe you remember better, Andrew, I don't know, but my memory of it is that there were the smartphones with hard, you know, built-in keyboards for years and years, like all through the noughties. And then when the iPhone came out in 2007 in the US, we didn't get it until the following year officially with the 3G. So it was really 2008 onwards that everything went iOS touchscreenified. And then I remember that all the Android things kind of followed or came out around the same time. Um, oh, that's so you my guys memory. launched with the 3G. You never yes, actually I, I, had I got the first it, one. Like, at the beginning of the launch, 3G. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. I didn't realize that. Had I got one before? I did. Because I think I had my iPod t- Touch and I was happy with that. And my work was paying for mm. a BlackBerry. So I didn't need to get another phone. But I think Hannah got a 3G, 3GS. I think was the first. That was the one where a lot of Australians jumped on board because I remember driving people mad in 2007 about the iPhone. People went, yeah, whatever. And one or two people came back from overseas with, you know, they kind of made an iPhone work here. And then the 3G came out. I and another friend got one. Everyone went, oh, what's this? This is what you've been talking about. 3GS came out. Everyone got one. All right. And tangent. Question two. Oh, yeah. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. In what year... Was the German expressionist horror film Nosferatu, a symphony of horror, released? Was it 1911, 1922, 1875, or 1931? Andrew? 1931. Okay. I'll say 22. Okay. Can you say it like Richie Benno? And end of unannounced trivia corner. There's no theme for that, by the way. I'm a little upset that there's no theme music. There's your that. mission. So if anyone is, you know, sitting around thinking about Eurovision or whatever, if we could get a theme <laughs> for Unannounced Trivia Corner, that would be pretty rad. Andrew, do you want to give your Richie impersonation? Because it's really you who wants to do it. <laughs> it's due for 22 here at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Wow. <laughs> what was that? That's definitely going to become a repeated sound effect for no reason. Richie Benno is the doyen, the past doyen of Australian cricket. Can we replace the hand clap sound with that? Right. Anyway, sorry. Richie Benno corner, unannounced trivia corner. What's the next corner? What corner are we looking at? 
Jason, did you add something about the home row? That piqued my interest. Oh, the home row. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day, how I'm sure anyone that's roughly in the age range of any of us remembers some kind of typing class in school. Mm-hmm. Maybe they put like a box over your hands or something and to test you. And there's always T-tow. the home row. Yep. You got you to gotta have the home row. You know, it's all about that home row. Well, I'm a horrible typist. I'll admit that. Are we doing another typing test here? Because we've done this before. Okay. People can revisit that in the show notes for sure. I was just thinking there's so much emphasis on mobile devices now and thumb typing that the home row doesn't mean anything in terms of thumb typing. So how long until that is not a thing? Much like how I feel like handwriting is probably not, I'm obviously not in that (laughs) in school learning that now, but, and maybe Andrew, you have some insight into this, but handwriting I have to imagine is not as emphasized in school as maybe typing is now, given where we're at with technology. So I'm wondering if home row, does that start to go away as we get into these screen, uh, screen-based screen keyboards where home there's no tactile feel today anyway. Maybe there will be in the future. And, you know, pencil input and things like that where you're writing and then it's turning into text. Do we, do we need home row? Is that really going to be a thing for very much longer? Can I interrupt for a moment? Just for listeners who aren't as technically inclined or maybe do type a lot but never heard this term, when we say home row, we're really talking about that middle row with the keys ASDF, JKL semicolon, where you would rest your eight fingers as a base for touch typing. That's why you have the little nubbies on the F and the J for your, yes. for your fingers, right? So you can see where you're at. So I, I don't know. It's like I obviously the keyboard itself has been around since the beginning of time and that hasn't changed at all. So maybe home row is here to stay, but I think this, the, the transition to screens and, and pencil inputs and even voice input is maybe what's going to change that. I don't know. I just, it was a thought that came up and I was curious if either of you had ever thought about things like, you know, the home row and does it really serve a purpose anymore? As as a touch typist, I love me a home row. Nothing makes me feel more at home than feeling the little nubbies under my, my index fingers. Fun fact, some keyboards at a certain point in time had the home, little nubbin under your second finger way back when. That was a thing for a while. I think it was a UK thing. That's not where the little nubbin belongs. It should be on the index finger. The thought that people wouldn't take the time to invest in touch typing knowledge worries me. But you're right. It's like, who's going to, I ain't got no time for that. will probably be the uh, prevailing wisdom as we move forward. So maybe you're right. And autocorrect will probably become more of a thing across all oh, the platforms. True. So I think not even home rows, typing will not become a thing. And then spelling might not become a thing anymore because autocorrect will f- fix it. Although the way the Apple's going at the moment with their autocorrect would probably make it worse. I thought, I thought I might get that out of you. They're not doing that so well at the moment. Yeah, so I hadn't given it any thought, but I see your argument. And when you talk thumb typing, yeah, Homer is a total waste of time. It just makes me wonder if the keyboard in general makes any sense anymore with digital as we move forward and having, you know, like the thumb... Does the standard keyboard layout under my thumbs make any sense at all? Or is it strictly just because that's the way it's always been? Would it be better to have them in, you know, weird 
circle shapes in, you know, eight different circles of letters for my thumbs to attack. I, I don't know. It just feels like there's there's a transition that's actually going to maybe happen in the keyboard type input. And maybe we just say, like, forget keyboards. Everything's voice now. I hope not. My brain doesn't work when I have to engage voice voice typing. I can't do it. Well, and it changes everything, right? Like your whole, your inner voice is going to be changed because now the way you're thinking about it is in a, in a spoken word versus typing. And it just is two very different forms of communication from your, your brain outward. At least that's what I feel. The way you speak to people is very different than the way you type, which is why people get in trouble so much with the way they type things and having them be received in a way that is not the same way as you typed it. It's just too different. It's like the, the neurons get crossed and things just change. But yeah, thumb typing to me is 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 the weird one. And I also wonder how many weird, horrible hand problems I'm going to have when I'm very old from holding these stupid little devices with my pinkies and this weird claw shape to, to work as an easel to hold this stupid phone up. I hate thumb, thumb typing. If there's anything of any length at all, I will avoid the thumb typing and wait till I can get to a proper keyboard. But I'm old. Weird, okay, weird tangent. I'm tangenting. Tangent. Ugh. Going on tangents today. I kind of hate mobile devices more and more every day. <laughs> like like a phone size one. I'm okay with like the iPad size, but I'm kind of wondering if maybe I don't want to have a phone anymore. I, and that sounds insane. But I don't know. I just... The more I have one, the more annoyed I am with it. And it has nothing to do with, you know, iOS, iPhone, Android, whatever. It's just the the idea of the phone device. It just feels so compromised in every single way. Even though they can do amazing things all the time, I find more and more that I'm like, yeah, I'll just wait to do that till I get home. I'll add to that. And I'll, I'll add to that and I'll tie it to the home road thing that you opened with. I'm a huge fan of the home row. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I learned touch typing at school with the whole tea towel over your hands thing. Yeah. And I've found that that has very heavily influenced the way that I think, you know, I grew up doing handwriting at school and naturally that slows you down and it's different from typing and, you know, dictating with your voice into software. They're all very different. But I find that that influence of the keyboard from an early age uh, ended up shaping even the way that I do thumb typing on the phone. So I have auto capitalization and autocorrect turned off, which might sound like madness to people, but I found that I liked the idea of having something that didn't capitalize automatically because my Mac doesn't do that. No matter where I go, I never have anything trying to guess what I'm writing or slowing me down or altering the way that the input works. So I like that if I go to the iPad, the Mac, the phone, whatever I have set up, it's the same everywhere. Um, and then getting to your tangent about mobile devices, I think that kind of what they started off as smaller items of convenience, you know, used to have to synchronize to an iPod. Now you don't have to do that. It's just there in the streaming app that you use. You used to write something down on a post-it note and stick it somewhere and then make sure you didn't lose that or lose your address or notebook or something. It's all in there. So it was doing a lot of things. Yeah. I just, I feel like more and more the only reason I take a phone with me anywhere I go is because I want the camera. Because I would leave the house without my phone all day long. 
But the problem is the camera. I just, I want to have a camera on me at all times. Yeah. And I can't do that any other way than with the phone. And then it just feels like everything on the phone is, I don't know, I feel like I'm complaining now about something that is probably the one of the most revolutionary things that's ever happened in all of humanity. But it just feels like everything it does is hampered in a way that would be probably better if I just waited and did it later. Well, this is where I think some people have kind of gone, you know, who actually uses screen time or that doesn't make sense. A lot of the time I think screen time is uh, sold as this thing to help cut down on your Instagram hours or something. I've actually found screen time incredibly useful to turn what you just said was your complaining, Jason, to maybe a positive. Uh, I've used screen time to try to understand what I actually do on different devices, not how long I'm wasting, but what I do on each one. Because where I was talking about consistency with the keyboard before, you know, I want it always to behave the same way. I used to think that way with the apps on everything. I thought, oh, if the app's on the iPhone, then I should probably have it on the iPad as well, because then I could pick it up there and then I can do it on the Mac. And then I found, well, actually, I'm never personally playing games on my iPhone, or I'm never really reading this on the Mac. And then I realized, huh, screen time's showing me that. So let's reduce what's on the iPhone to make it really important important or meaningful or less fatiguing. Like you said, it's the camera, it's tot, it's that quick web browsing or sending a Discord message, whereas the Mac is for this and the iPad's for that. So I don't know if this is useful for listeners as well, but use something like screen time to cut out all the rubbish that you don't actually do on your phone and make it the important minimal thing that actually helps you in your day. One of the things I've been wanting to try for a while is the different configuring it so different home screens load with the different focus modes that you can set up, but it just seems like such hassle to get that done that I I keep procrastinating on it. That's where I think just cutting down on the number of things that that's where I think just cutting down on the number of things on your phone actually makes you like your phone more. It makes it less of a first world luxury problem. Yeah. I think, I guess what triggered this was the iPad mini because it, I I, like if I'm at home, I much rather would pick that up and use that as my device than my phone because it just does things. I just feel like it's a, it's a better device for basically everything I'm doing. But what I did with that is I did exactly like you said, I don't just have it mirrored to my larger iPad. It's just, it's got different stuff on it and it doesn't have certain things installed. And if I want to do that other thing, then I'll go do that other thing on another thing somewhere else we're obvious outliers because most people would say they need their phone for instagram facebook tiktok you know the social world and we're not really a part of that world are we love me some messages on the mac it's uh, an equal counterpart to that of the ios application except it is not um i'm confused a little bit about messages on the mac in that it is supposed to be the same app, right? Because it's, is that one of the catalyst Catalyst, ones? It is now. Yes. Why isn't it the same then? I don't understand. I thought this was supposed to make it the (laughs) same. (laughs) It seems so different. None of the plugin, uh, not plugins. What are they called? Um, the apps, the apps don't, they're not there. Um, whenever this is my favorite thing. So whenever you do a workout, with like the Apple watch, right. And Mm. you get the little, uh, like we're all Apple watch, uh, fitness. What is it? Fitness friends. I don't know what it's even called. 
So we're that. We're activity right? sharing. Then, we're fitness sharing. Yeah. Sure. So you complete a workout. I get a cool little nicely stylized box that says a little overview of what you did. And I can reply and say, you know, great work. Or I can say, try harder, whatever. So that's cool. That works great on the watch. Works brilliantly on the phone. Comes through as that nice little box. What does it do on the Mac? Uh, well, if you look at the messages on the left side, it comes through as, let me actually read this to you because I took a screenshot of it. Uh, it comes through as Andrew Canyon, dollar sign, parens, K-I-M transcript plugin breadcrumb text re. Wow. Breadcrumb. Ooh. Which I assume was something from iOS to tell it where to get some asset to display something. Um, but that doesn't work there. I agree with you on the other bits that it's not the same. And it's very, it's very bare bones. And um, it is disappointing because I thought they were going to synchronize everything, get it all working the same way. Because if you could choose to install Signal or WhatsApp or something like that, and they all, they're all horrible Electron apps, but they all work the same, right? Um, so iMessage is platform specific and yet is the worst at its platform at, at being a, a common communications platform it's, it's just a really odd thing apple with all its might they can't get this basic thing sorted out it works so well on ios and ipad os it's just such a great experience in the way that it works and i can double tap a message to get the little tap back thing and all that I, just, I don't know. It's a it's a weird one for me. Every time I use it on the Mac, I kind of just prefer to use it on iOS. Can we talk ringtones? Yes, please. Who added this? I did. I thought you might have. I was fa- look. I'll be honest. I don't know how much listeners uh, have got from what we've said before, but we add to the topic pool. We add to the show notes. Pretty, I suppose, standard podcaster behaviour. But sometimes we don't always. People don't always put the emoji next to the the thing to denote who didn't. I was like, who the hell wants to talk about ringtones? Are they still a thing? I know. So that that was my. That's part of my first question. Was a. Do you even use a ringtone or know what your ringtone is? Because my phone's on silent 9,000% of the day. Same. The other, the thing that brought it to my mind is that I was in uh, an office environment and pe- people apparently still use ringtones and they mm-hmm. use the worst ringtones ever. And they're usually the really, really annoying one that's made by their carrier that is meant to say, hey, look at me. I use Verizon. Oh, I'm on T-Mobile with my horrific ringtone that came on my phone. Oh, it's so bad. And they have it on max volume. And the worst, the worst thing is not the phone ringtone. The text ringtone that is like eight seconds long. Oh, yes. And they're getting message after message after message. And it's like the ringtone is starting again before it even ended from the last message. This is this is a surprise to me, though, because maybe I'm living under a rock. But, Andrew, do we have carrier or network-specific ringtones in the same way here? Because the last time that I heard something that was branded was when someone's phone said, Hello, Moto, and then played that little thing. Oh, yes, yes. Right? I always think- Everyone else I hear, if it's an iPhone, it's that default one or the same for Android. The marimba one from 2008- 
I don't think we have carrier tones. Uh, yeah, I always think of when I hear default, I think of the Nokia. Um, I don't think we have carrier tone ringtones. No, ring tones. I didn't even know that was a thing. No, but yeah, marimba drives me crazy. Jeez. Um, yeah, I mean, in the in the good old US and A, they will brand slash do anything they can to your phone if you if it unless it's an iphone because that somehow they're still getting away with that i mean now that's never going to change but back when that you know when you would go get your blackberry or your android phones back in the early days of this thing and you would get it and it would have you know if it was verizon you'd have 35 verizon apps on there and there'd be a wallpaper and it would have a ringtone and it have a startup sound and the ringtone, if you notice, I hope you've all turned this off, but iPhone by default has, it, it plays a second message ping. So if you receive a message and haven't done anything with it, it'll ping you a second time. And message I think, reminder or something. Yeah, or, yeah. And I think yeah. that's on by default. And I reckon most people don't turn it off. So for every message, you actually get, you get, twice. get pinged twice. And then that same person has probably set the foghorn I remember that I liked that function pre-Apple Watch because I would sometimes forget or... the note. In fact, that was the thing that came up with that whole messages discussion and features I saw recently, that there isn't a mark as unread in Apple's iMessage. So that was kind of my unread of, oh, by the way, you haven't done something about this. But with an Apple Watch, like to your point, Jason, there's a ringtone selected, but it's always on silent or the volume's down low or something because my watch pings me. Do either of you use a ringtone at all? Or do you have your phone on on Audible ever? Never. No, it's always mute. And my my watch is mute as well. Yeah, same. I think people who don't wear an Apple Watch or equivalent smartwatch don't quite get it. And if they don't want one, fair enough, you know, each to their own. But uh, I just think, why wouldn't you want to be privately notified about something that will just stay in the notification center on your wrist if you don't get to it straight away? Don't tell the world and yourself and bother yourself constantly about someone wants to talk to you. Now, Andrew, we've come to a very important point. I don't want to labor over this too much because it is a very big fandom. So I'm going to behave. I'm going to sit back and only really offer things if addressed. How about that? Okay. Is this media corner? I think I think it is a devoted media corner, devoted to your very important catch-up of a very certain franchise. So I'm going to let you start off and we'll go from there. Okay, hit the music. Media Corner. This little movie series called The Matrix. <sighs> Martin is, is, you all know, he's been banging on about this movie for a long time. And I knew that I had seen the first one. I had some semi-vague recollection of the second one. And then I had nothing for the one after that and the, the new one. Martin, I have done you a big solid. I've watched all of them over again. So impressed. Very impressed. In order too, right? You watched, but you went back one, two, three, and then watched the fourth, right? Yep. Yep. So I went right back to the original. The original is still excellent. I still really like it. It's 
it, it's perf- it's perfection. I would almost go so far as to say it is a great movie. The effects, even though they're dated, they still actually kind of hold up. The premise, I, I still love it. It makes you think. Uh, the acting's good. There's there's a lot to love about the original Matrix. I have very few issues with it. Your comment about the effects being dated but still holding up, I think it's because of what the movie is about that the effects will always work. And I don't know if I'm explaining that really very well, but the the way that the world is and once you find I mean, I guess I'm I'm spoiling the matrix. I don't maybe you Yeah, there may be spoilers, careful people. What's Just the timeline on spoilers? Like how long does something have to be out? Uh, anyway, for the Matrix, I mean, you you kind of understand you're in this alternate universe kind of world thing. But the way that because the effects are the way they are, it's kind of perfectly fine no matter what they look like. Because at any point, it's like, well, yeah, they're in the Matrix. That's what it looks like. So I think your point is exactly correct that it's one of the rare times where the effects, regardless of what they look like, it's totally fine. It just works. There's also a point in the story where people are constantly saying that something didn't feel right about the world in which they were in. It's it's reality, but it's not quite. It's filtered through or designed by something that thinks differently. Yeah, it wasn't a CG person that they were trying to trick you into thinking this is a real person. And now you look at it from today's technology, you're like, that looks like crap. It's not like that. So that's it, really cool. So the Matrix, excellent. Okay, so happy with that one. So I was quite enthusiastic, all right? I, I, I liked it. I'd forgotten how much I quite liked it. So number two, this should be good. I remembered this one because I remembered it had the dread, the albino dreadlock guys in it. All right, that was my memory. Okay, so it all starts off well enough. We're kind of back in the, back in the, what, they, what do you call that little, the ship with the, in the. The Nebuchadnezzar. In the blood vessels of the earth. Good description. And yeah, I'm watching, I think this is pretty good. And. And then we get that whole, I'm, I'm going to jump around here because I don't have the encyclopedic memory of the movie like Martin does, but you, suddenly you've got that French guy who's just being very French and a lot of- The Merovingian. A lot of yeah, exposition, okay, a bit of ho-hum. And then you get the, and then he's got the bodyguards who are the, the, the dreadlock guys. You're like, all right, this is going to get good now. And it kind of doesn't. And then you've got him, and I'm jumping around again. Then he's fight. He had this extended battle scene, right, of him fighting like a million Mr. Smiths. Is that number two or is that number three? Number two. Number two. And and I'm sort of like jumping between. Do I buy into this? Like it is all. It is all the Matrix, so they're not real people. But surely he will be overwhelmed by that many Smiths. Um, yet he's so powerful mm. but it's a computer program so okay. of course like physics don't apply you know so i have an explanation for that okay but continue. okay and then we yep. get to the, the freeway scene right and then you have, which is kind of cool but this is where the effects don't work the effects do look dated on this scene you know the the flying off the the truck and almost falling off and all that kind of stuff and then i found myself jumping in and out of reality because there was one point where they jump off a bridge or something and onto a moving truck and I was like and and then they jump from one truck to another and I'm thinking what's their velocity and as soon as they lose traction with the truck going at that speed <laughs> their their velocity changes and they wouldn't be able to land on that truck again because it would whiz by mm. and then so I'm in this mm. in out 
sort of of my brain between thinking, no, but it's the matrix, it's not real, so they can manipulate it, so therefore they can do that. But what's so I'm confused by the physics engine that we're playing with here. Um, and then overall, you have the worst part of this second movie is that the albino dreadlock guys are basically one and done villains. Like they're underutilized massively. So thumbs down on Matrix 2. Wow. Matrix 3. Just okay, I'll, I'll, this one, next one will be quick. Matrix 3, they should have just called it, you know, the Battle Bots. Because I had no idea, I had never seen Matrix 3. And basically, it's just an extended mech battle. Would that be the Matrix colon Battle Bots? Or would that just be. Battle the bots. Matrix colon BattleBots. I would have watched it way soon. So I've never watched this one. This is my first viewing of it. And I had no idea. It's like a video game. It's just like I'm in a big mech with giant machine guns going, Aah! shooting at squid. Yeah, I remember that scene. That was a good scene when he did that. All right. And yet, despite all the squid flying around, the destruction being rent upon um, Zion, there was still the need for manual reloading and pushing out your bullets in a wheelbarrow. And somehow there's still a clear path for you to steer this wheelbarrow around to get to the battle bots. And the, the rate of fire of those battle bots, there is no way that there was enough ammunition in those buckets, those reload buckets. Okay. And it's just, I, it was a mess. That, that third movie was a mess. Okay. So thumbs thumbs up on that one, or? But I like the battle bots. It was kind of fun, so I'm giving it a thumbs sideways. Oh, Maybe okay. thumbs forty five degrees down. It's a tough one. Forty five degrees down. <laughs> wow, this rating system is really okay. Evolving. And now okay. finally, I move mm. into right. This is the Matrix, the new one, right? The fourth one. And now I do have to be careful of spoilers here. Yeah, that one did come out within the last two months, so we've- I didn't need to watch it because I'd watched the first Matrix. A week prior so <sighs> it was a total waste of my time because it was like star it was like star wars they just it was the same story told again but worse no no it wasn't not at all so there there endeth the lesson so this one would be matrix colon star wars is that what you would call yeah. that one or or don't call it don't call it matrix um Resurrections, just call it the Matrix again. Or we could call it, you suggested this to me, Jason, you could call it the Matrix colon mm. John Wick edition. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because yep, basically he's just Love John it. Wick. And where so was, where was Morpheus? No- what, somebody's got to tell me, why isn't Morpheus in this? Uh, totally explained. It was explained in the fourth movie. No, but really, what, what was it, contract negotiations or... Like, because I know the original Oracle's dead, so they had to recast that. So, so where's where's Morpheus really? Um, okay, so wait, can I can I just draw a quick line in the sand there? Okay, okay. So that was the comprehensive, full series review by Andrew Canyon. You can see all of his in depth reviews at. Um, I'm on Letterboxd. What was that? Bo- Letterboxd Something. Slash Canyon. Summarizing some of the most philosophically dense cinema ever made in two sentences. That was good. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. The first one, uh, I believe, was was deemed perfection. Is that is that okay on your end? 
I totally agree with that. I would list it as my equal favorite film. Okay. So the second one, we had a little bit more talking about it. It sounded like it was pretty well received. He's seen it twice now. Um, He's not as big as number one, but still okay. Um, Third one is where we start to get a little bit uh, iffy here. So the third one, I believe he said something to the effect of didn't need to be made. I think he said that at one point. What would be your uh, opinion on number three there? Um, I thoroughly enjoy number three, and it's for a number of reasons, but I'll try to keep it brief. What I like about number three is that by the time that you've gotten to number three, and this is what I find so particularly impressive about how it was made, for, for anyone who doesn't know, number two and number three were made simultaneously, and they have very, very different vibes or feels. So by the time you get to the third one, sorry, spoiler, pause or leave now if you want. By the time you get to the third one, the myth or the prophecy of the one has been unraveled. It was a control system by the machines, right? So number three is incredibly dark. It's incredibly hopeless in its outlook. And it kind of uh, meshes- like Andrew's review. Yeah, exactly. So um, you've got martyrdom. You've got uh, much more of a view into the real world and the circumstances of how humanity is living uh, six anomalies or matrix reloads into future history. So to me, uh, it's a really, really daring conclusion that actually kills off people in the story who people are very emotionally attached to as fans. So I thought it was daring. I thought it was dark. I thought it was impressive that they actually made a film at the same time as the other sequel, which feels totally different and has arguably a bit of a darker look to it as well. Wow, that is a completely different take than I got just moments ago from He didn't Andrew. even mention That's the battle uh, box. Very- That's a view into the real world that I mean. The fact that for the first one, you kind of live in this, what is the matrix? You know, you really kind of cut off from the rest of human civilization as it lasts. Number two expands that universe and number three kind of suffocates you again and brings you into this very man versus machine feel. So that's what I mean. It feels and looks totally different fourth movie in the franchise i would say in in the way that and i liked the force awakens from star wars right i feel like the force awakens even though i loved it was more of a new hope rebooted than what the matrix resurrections was what i loved about resurrections was that it actually and i saw people complain about this online that it doesn't offer anything new or there's nothing thematically different which i find totally false uh purely because What was so fascinating about this, and this is where I think, I'm not having a go at you, Andrew, but where you were saying about suspending your idea of reality, right? And what it is, you know, you were saying like you had to remind yourself what was real and what wasn't. The whole resurrections thing, and this is, I'll try to stay brief here. This is what impresses me about The Matrix as a sci-fi franchise more than any other, is that you have things like AI and replicas and replicants and Blade Runner and Terminators and stuff, all these different things, but it's generally us versus them. The Matrix actually interweaves two totally different human classes that tolerate each other into the one new future version of the real world, being the pod-born ones who are essentially manufactured by machines and the ones who are born of normal circumstances once they've been released and propagated in the real world. Now, what you essentially have is a totally different class of human which can interface with computer technology. You're essentially talking about some version of the superhuman which can manipulate a virtual environment, or in Neo's case, as the anomaly actually interface with machines in the real world, right, as you see in The Matrix Revolutions. In The Matrix Resurrections, what you essentially see is the discussion post-Jesus-style martyrdom and revolutions that Neo does fighting Smith, he and Trinity actually being brought back to life. They are rebooted in a sense. And 
the philosophical implications of what that means that a human can be brought back and that they are essentially a manufactured product is tremendously interesting to me. And the fact that you can essentially conduct repairs on them. And we just kind of, I think that just kind of people ignore that. The, the entire premise of this movie as a reboot actually physically reboots the characters. That's fascinating to me. That sounds very different from what I heard Andrew talk about. I'm just going to say that was a very different approach and take on the film. So thank you for that. It's more thought through. I'll give him that. Yeah, I think there may have been a like an edge of extra thought to it. Not to say that you didn't really think about it, but I think I got to give the nod to 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 Martin on that one. I think that's fair. No, that's okay. Mixing food slash separating food. I just need to know from both of you what your stance is on that. So you get a plate of food whenever it could be like a holiday thing. You've got different, you know, you got maybe a vegetable and a, maybe some potato thing going on, a meat. You got different food categories all on a plate, right? And they're usually in separate areas of the plate. Are you a eat each thing on its own? It doesn't have to be all to, before you can go to the next one, but it can be. That's a valid option. Or are you the tornado mix it all together and just eat it all together? What's your what's your take on that? And I, I have a I have a feeling I know what each of your answers are. Okay, I don't mix. I don't mix the food like the tornado style. But I don't mm. I don't um eat all my peas and then eat all my meat and then eat all my potatoes. I I will either I might have a little bit one at a time of each, or I'll have a, a bit of each on a fork at the same time. Okay. You might throw a couple peas in the yeah, corn. Yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. Create okay. taste sensations right. as you go along. Um, but I, and I don't have any fear of food touching or anything like that. So there's no, no issues with any of that kind of stuff. But they do remain in their individual areas on the plate. I would agree with what Andrew said about making little flavor sensations. You want to combine some little side dishes or vegetables. I'm assuming that was a kind of steak and three veg view, wasn't it, Andrew? The idea that you have, you know, a few vegetables to the side and you might combine it with the meat or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're having a stir fry or something, it's kind of some of the work's already been done for you. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is things arrive to you separated. What do you do? Right. Yeah, I would say, um, let's say that it's a meal where there are multiple components. Typically, what I like to do is, let's say that there is a meat part of the dish that has its own sauce or something. I would like to try that by itself first or anything that has its own inherent flavor as a part of the meal. So I can go, oh, that's what that tastes like. I like like a baseline. Exactly. And then from there, I can mix and match and do things because I've at least understood what's been delivered to me first. Okay. Just want to see what the starting point is. Where I don't mix things um, is let's say that you've ordered Thai or Vietnamese food and you've got a range of different curries or stir fries or noodle dishes or something. I'm not a huge fan of the tornado thing there because I think if I've ordered a Musselman curry, right, and I have maybe a green curry, there is already a wonderful mix of flavors to make said curries separately. So then to mix the musselman and the green, while that may be delicious, I've actually compromised the ideal flavor of that thing that's already been mixed by someone who knows what they're doing in a kitchen. Mm -hmm. 
That's a flavor integrity comp- compromise for sure. Exactly. Which I used to laugh about because when my um, grandparents were still alive, this is my mum's parents, they loved spicy food and they would actually do exactly what I said that I don't do. They would go, why wouldn't you mix all the curries together? This is fantastic. So I respected their taste buds, but I thought, don't you want to kind of look, there's the coconut in that? Not just mixed together. And look, I admire them for their bravery when they were, that when they were still with us, but um, that's not my style. What I will plug just quickly though, um, Natasha is known for doing something which I don't do. This is where I kind of, I would not mix this. She will mix pasta and salad. Now you can have a pasta salad, but I'm talking about the pasta dish. Now to That's me, horrendous. it might end up tasting good. Well, it, it can taste good. I'm not saying it's bad. I am. Um, just a point of clarification. A pasta, you're talking like a cold pasta dish. I'm talking about like a wa- like warm like it's a pasta meal. Unless I've misunderstood it, she will happily insert salad elements on and combine it on the fork. Like you're having a spaghetti bolognese. And you're going to throw, throw a little lettuce in there. Unless I've totally misunderstood it, then yes, that's what she's saying. Whereas to me, the salad is the refreshment at the end or intermittently, like glasses of water. Something else that I don't mix, and this actually happened today at family brunch, uh, if there are roasted breakfast tomatoes... I don't really mix that with anything because to me that is the king of the breakfast and it comes as the juicy refreshment post cheese or bacon or eggs or bread or whatever it is. It can be on the bread. It can be mixed up maybe if that's how it's presented. But if I'm given roasted tomatoes like on a vine as they were this morning, that is ultimate breakfast refreshment. I'm a little thrown by the pasta thing still because I thought I had that figured out and now I'm more confused than when we started. So what do you do with your food, Jason? I have changed over time as i've aged uh the mixing has become more okay whereas previously as a child i would prefer those plates that had the little compartments where everything lives in its own little section and they stayed in their section jason bento burke that's what we're saying Mm -hmm. yep and you would that's that was exactly what they called me until i was at least 13 years old Um, yeah, so everything would be separate all the time. And now I'll do a little more dabbling in the mixing to get a little bit of cross pollination amongst the different uh, food. But I am of the mind that if it came as a prepared thing, probably just need to eat that thing as it was intended. Somebody went to a lot of thought, hopefully, of putting that together and there was reason behind it. So you should probably take that and uh, and run with it so there you go you want to count us down jason in three oh wait where's my record thing in three two one stop why did it not stop